He'll come back for the second. India have won the test match. India have won the series. They're going to get back for two. India home. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the 81 All Out podcast. Uh, rather sober mood today, given uh, all that's happened over the last 24 hours. Uh, I'm uh, Sidvi here, Siddhartha Vaidyanathan, um, joined by the regular crew, uh, Mahesh at Cornered, Ashoka at AB Van and Kartikeya at Cricketing View. Hi guys, welcome. Hi, Sid. Hi. Yeah, so quite a uh, strange and sad uh couple of days, uh, first with the cricketing world losing Rod Marsh, one of the great um, wicket keepers in cricket, um, an Australian great. And then quite shockingly, I mean, Rod Marsh uh, was uh, ailing and he was suffering for a while and he's also, you know, um, gone through a lot of ups and downs in his health. But uh, just not too long after that, quite shockingly, we heard about... Um, the untimely death of Shane Vaughan, uh, absolute legend of the game and uh, arguably the best leg spinner to have played the game. Um, yeah, and for us, I mean, uh, at least for me, I belonging to the generation that watched cricket through the 90s, 2000s, you know, 90s being the formative decade for me. I mean, Shane Vaughan's loss seems extremely personal. He's, uh, you know, I mean, just to have been around when Shane Warne was bowling was a sight in itself. I mean, it was a privilege, an absolute privilege to just be sitting around and watching a game where Shane Warne is just bowling, nothing much is happening. But you felt so invested in it because you knew that, you know, the kind of bowler that he was, it was just a matter of time before something got going. And even when the times when he didn't get wickets, times when he was not bowling as well as he was capable of. There was still an excitement and frisson around that period. So, yeah, so we're here primarily to, I mean, to talk about Shane Vaughan. Of course, uh, absolutely no disrespect to Rod Marsh or anyone else, but uh, I feel we should dedicate an episode to Shane Vaughan. So, yeah, um, guys, we can start off with initial reactions. I mean, I, I, I basically woke up you know, just checking my phone and uh, I had a message from, of course, Infos, uh, Osman Samyuddin. Um, and I was like, what? I mean, surely he's joking. I mean, there's no way uh, anything like this can even remotely happen. I mean, Bond dying is not even in my like sphere of imagination, right? I mean, that's, it's how, that's how distant things are, however weird that sounds. But I'm like, what? And then going to Twitter and, and then seeing all these people posting and yeah, I, I, it's, it's been a, it's been a day now. It's been 24 hours since I heard the news, but I still can't believe that this has happened. And I don't know how, how is it for you guys? Yeah, Ashoka? Yeah, same disbelief. Uh, I too was uh, in a very rare two hours. I was not in on the internet and I came back and I saw this happening uh you know uh, people you admire respect like love you never want them to go away and it's always a shock irrespective of their age or their condition but uh, i think 52 is is a bit cruel i mean this is shocking and you know completely unexpected uh 
so uh, so yeah i was shocked a bit so my later reconciliation today as i sit through and watch all the news see the videos and all that is i've been a little bit lucky when it comes to shane one i've caught most of his career watching it either live when he comes to india or on tv so so i've been one of the few lucky ones and therefore this hits a little bit more harder than you know uh, it should it feels like as you said a little bit personal so uh, that i think is what i am feeling right now i mean it's so strange right i mean you obviously none none of us can claim to have known shane one at a personal level and all i mean if you're a teammate if you're a family member i mean that that kind of grief is totally different but i think you know as cricketers especially you know when you watch a cricketer for like 6 hours at a stretch over 5 days and then over a series and then over 15 years there is a deep intimacy that you develop over them especially if they are as great a cricketer as shane one you know there there is something there is uh, there is you feel like they are very much part of your life yes because uh, you are a passive watcher of the game and you you watch the player and especially a player like shane won use all his uh, you know cricketing intelligence when he bowls and when he bats and captains and your the connection is between his cricketing intelligence and your passive watching so you kind of feel that you have gotten a window or an insight into the workings of the man and that kind of familiarity is you no know, that is the one that gives you kind of an intimacy with the player and and that's why the grief when such players go away yeah i mean like like all of you i'm still in a state of shock in a state of disbelief in fact uh, when the news of rodmarsh came strangely i was thinking you know uh, i think we were doing one of the podcasts when the news of abdul qadir passing away came came along as well and and i saw some people react in fact i saw sibhi reacting like sibhi was absolutely shocked and uh, honestly i had not seen uh, abdul qadir bowl like live i mean i vaguely remember seeing some sort of pictures but i didn't really follow his career and then i saw people reacting to rod marsh then i was like you know it means a lot to all these people i know i know these cricketers as as these great cricketers great cricketing personalities they meant a lot to the cricketing world and so on but personally i couldn't kind of share their level of intensity of feelings and then i was thinking what would happen if one of the people that we grew up watching you know had to uh, pass away like this and just as i was as i was thinking you know the same night like in the morning i was thinking about this the same night this news came along and it was just completely unreal and and uh, like i tweeted as well you know i was uh, like my my son was doing some show and tell sort of program in in school and he he kind of showed shane one statue to all his friends and it just happened like two days back and uh, and he's been in a sort of not just shane one trip he's, he's been in in a trip of all these legends uh, Uh, of cricket and he keeps asking all these questions so first thing i couldn't believe it and second thing i was thinking is what am i going to tell him tomorrow morning and uh, and i was holding back in fact i wasn't sure if i should even tell him because like for him even if i tell him bradman doesn't exist anymore like even that he finds it hard to reconcile to like why is he not alive anymore i want to see him bat and so on like i had to tell him malcolm marshall passed away quite young uh, and he couldn't digest that as well so and yeah i had to explain why he passed away what are the complications and so on so i was not sure if i'll tell him or not and then we were watching the match and and you know it was all over the place on tv 
So I had to tell him. So I think that was my second thought, and and I'm still in a state of shock. And and uh, you know, uh, it is like like you mentioned, it is. He was all over. Uh, if cricket was all over our life, then so was so was Vaughn. Um, yeah, it, it feels deeply personal. I mean, the the fact that you know there's a there's a massive war going on in the world, and that affects me deeply, right? I mean, it affects you at a more fundamental level, saying where are we heading? You know, uh, what if there's a nuclear war and so on? Even in the midst of such tragedy going on in the world, a loss of a cricketer feels so deeply personal, and that's how how deeply influential he was. To, to anybody who cared about cricket. Yeah, and I think at some level, it's also like when a cricketer you have uh, watched at a formative stage goes away, it's also a part of you that's going away, right? It's a part of your growing up that has gone away. And you yourself start feeling your own, uh, you know, that, okay, is my time, when is my time going to come? I mean, it's those sort of feelings creep in. I mean, it's the same with uh, Rod Marsh, right? I mean, um, uh, I was uh, emailing with our previous uh, one of our uh, guests on the show, Mike Coward, who had come recently, and I was I just sent him an email and said, you know, it's uh, deeply shocking, and I'm sure that for you it means so much more because he had uh, for, been he had covered Australian cricket at that time. He knew all those players. I mean, Rod Marsh was a great friend of his, and then uh, you know he was talking about how you know his first cricket. Uh, Assign, uh, to assignment or series that he covered was the 72 series, the famous uh, Ashes series where Ian Chappell was the captain and they went to England and they drew the series. And he said, you know, it's now coming up on 50 years of 72, but we have already lost uh, four, four people from that team. And, uh, you know, it's uh, <laughs> the, we, we were, the celebrations we are planning are like, you know, being it's almost like the celebrations are being taken away from us by all these departures. So, yeah, I mean, I think um, when a cricketer who you have followed so closely goes away, I think there is a certain deep sadness there. Kartikeya? Well, you know, life is precarious, you know, we are, and we have a, we, we have, you know, when it comes to strangers and when it comes to, you know, people who are not our family and people whose lives uh, are not of immediate consequence to ours, uh, we, we have this whole large arena of entertainment, which is basically, you know, a consequence-free zone where, you know, we can view all these th events as part of, you know, the world of entertainment, you know, even, you know, things like wars and, you know, bombings and, uh, you know, the misfortune of others, in a sense, you know, partly it is our defense mechanism and partly it is, you know, just, you know, it's just too much to comprehend, you know, but, but sometimes, you know, uh, some things happen, which sort of intrude into, you know, they, they, they break that wall of and, and, and sort of intrude into life, you know, because, it's hard to imagine something more consequential than this. No, I mean, it, there is a finality to to this. You know, I mean, in, in cricket, we have this Walt Disney version of this, which is called retirement. You know, but th this is the real thing. You know, this is he is really gone. You know, and that that's a. It, I don't think we can explain it. I don't think we can make sense of it. But it's just true. You know, and it, so. It, it's a, I mean, and, and it's a, I mean, look at all the things that have happened this year, you know, and, and all, you know, in recent years, like Dean Jones, the news about Dean Jones, 
you know, even long time back, the news about Malcolm Marshall, I still remember the newspaper uh, report. You know, I don't, you, we don't remember many newspaper reports, but I still remember the newspaper report which came out, which explained like, you know, Marshall was really ill and, you know, uh, he was basically, you know, there was no cure for that illness at the time. And it, it was expected, but even then it was a very young age for, for him to go. But this is uncertain and to a large extent unknown, no? because even the official news reports are saying, quote unquote, suspected heart attack. So, we, uh, you know, I, all, all what? I mean, all you hope for is that he didn't suffer much, I suppose. You know, or what else is that we said? Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up uh, Malcolm Marshall. I think, uh, you know, at least as far as I've seen in terms of, uh, you know, the groundswell of grief that uh, has surrounded this one thing is taking me back to Malcolm Marshall. Of course, we had the tragic case of Philip Hughes, which uh, brought on uh, such shock and uh, sort of gr uh, grief around the world. But in terms of players post-career, I mean, you know, I'm not talking about uh, the people like Raman Lamba and Hughes who died on the field. I mean, that has, that is a different order of uh, grief altogether. But post-retirement, no, I think Malcolm Marshall really comes to mind. And, and even now, like if you speak to people and if you just mention Malcolm Marshall, I mean, they will, of course, talk about his greatness and his exploits, but that sadness that he left so early. And I think a part of that has got to do with just the amount of knowledge these players bring in to the game. I mean, even though they are not playing anymore, the very fact that you can call on them to, you know, just... Uh, coach someone or teach someone, mentor someone or just for an idea. Like suppose uh, tomorrow Australian cricket wants to come up with an idea for, you know, grooming young leg spinners. I mean, or young spinners. Who's the first person that comes to mind? Shane Vaughan, right? I mean, the very fact that you cannot call him anymore and say, hey, can you help us? I mean, that's that's a deep, deep emptiness that it leaves in a lot of people. And they just take away so much of knowledge with them and so much of cricketing sort of it, is a, it is where value. also another place where you know the the wall of entertainment gets broken down no the the, the sheer virtuosity of one you know or the you know the virtuosity of the great artist you know or the you know like birju maharaj died recently uh, and you know they 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 show you a world which is you didn't imagine was possible, you know. I mean, one really expanded the imagination of what was possible on a cricket field, you know. And so that is a that that is something art and sport and you know science and literature and these things can do, you know, which are sort of uh, which have uh, you know a more permanent significance than you know the the laugh you got on the weekend, you know, when you list when you. When you saw a, a funny five-minute quick uh, clip of Shane Bond or whoever, I mean, look at the look at the reaction when Dean Jones died. You know, I mean, and the, the Victorians have had a really difficult couple of years. Now they've lost Dean Jones and now Shane Bond, the the two greatest heroes of you know Victorian cricket fans of the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s. Basically, you know, they, they have had a really difficult time. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, but, but Shane Vaughan was also, uh, 
a unique figure in the sense that he was still in the public eye you know he was still involved with the game he was still you know giving master classes and commentary and you know and he was all over the world he was still very much his footprint on the game was still so massive that even a generation which is of cricket fans who didn't really watch him play like i didn't really watch him play very much in the 90s you know because my family we didn't have cable and you know the first time i really watched him was you know in that uh, cricket club of india 1998 when i was like i think what 16 15 or 16 something when like tendulkar scored that double hundred that match yeah right yeah. yeah and after that after that the the only times i watched him really was when they played india when australia played india you know because we didn't really get cable until what 2002 2003 something like that yeah i mean talking about those matches right i mean like uh, you mentioned that uh, match in cricket club of india against bombay when basically he got walloped and you know uh, in, in uh, bombay won that match big and then in the next the first test in chennai they go and then australia again get beaten quite ba- quite big but the thing in that chennai test the things that you know you can't see again or you can't experience again and you can definitely not see in high maybe not even see in highlights is that in the first innings where sachin basically hits him for a four and then he gets him out like caught at slip i mean caught taylor bold one i mean that that sort of thing is just stuck in my head i'm like he just he got hammered at bombay tendulkar scored a uh, double he's going i mean we know that he will get hammered again in the second innings but that particular moment that over that he bowls he just gets him so uh, that sort of thing you you had when you followed him every day like every match no and the, the i mean that's such a great over if you get to watch sort of slightly extended highlights i think all of us should check it out uh, i remember writing about that uh, second innings of sachin and in the context there is a first time i actually went back and rewatched that first innings you know you kind of forget about it because the 155 uh, over emphasizes sachin's dominance in that series but that over is as good as any over that shimon is bold you know he gets him off the front foot then he increases the pace then he actually slows it down and you can see all the drama between him and mark taylor the it was so beautifully set up like i feel like even the cover drive that sachin hit was actually an invitation for him to keep driving right uh, unfortunately because of what happened in the second innings all that kind of gets uh, completely forgotten if you see that over again you can it, it belongs in his in his hall of fame and even that uh, Cal- calcutta test right i mean uh, you know i i had sort of spoken to him about uh, lakshman's 281 and that calcutta test and all that and in that he said you know i went for runs i didn't uh, do as well as should have but i bowled well if you see the highlights you will see 20 bad balls but i bowled like 50 overs in that uh, innings that second innings when india followed on so you take 20 bad balls uh, that means i bowled 280 good balls no i bowled really well It's just that they oh. batted so well <laughs> the first time i truly appreciated wants genius was actually like you know uh i mean of course i've been watching him watching all those magical balls and so on but actually apart from the mike getting ball i didn't really understand how the sort of ball drifts in in the air right like i i didn't un- appreciate what it uh what it means to the batsman and in that calcutta test there was a dismissal of ramesh actually i think probably that that's the first wicket that he gets so the ball kind of just drifts away a little bit pitches and then holds its line 
like i was absolutely fascinated with that dismissal i thought my god like did i just see what i saw like if you had asked me at that time i would have probably called it the ball of the century or whatever to me it was that great and you know perhaps because you know even if you had seen him do do to gatin or gatin or callis or kalinin or whatever when you see him doing it to your batsman and particularly ramesh being like from tamil nadu as well right your stakes are much more uh, heightened and then you see him like and and then like i'm thinking what could he have done like i mean ramesh did the perfect thing he went forward and he you know Uh, tried to cover the pitch of the ball, but could not, and and uh, held his bat like steady. And the the ball held its line, and just it was just magical. Even like even in one of his worst performances, if you if you ask anybody, they're going to say, okay, look at what he did in India. Yeah, like even 2004 for that matter. I was at Chennai uh, for his five wicket all, the only five wicket all he took in uh, took in uh, India. I thought he bowled quite beautifully actually. Uh, he gets uh, Yuvraj out, uh, you know, bowling wide at the crease. and there was a ball i think his fifth wicket was anil kumble if i'm not wrong uh, a leg spinner to a leg spinner and that was a classical leg spinner just you know flighted up on the leg stump and and uh, kumble inviting kumble to go for a big expansive drive and and getting in bold like you know when i close my eyes and think about it a lot of my warm memories are actually his bowling in india like which which is seen as is actually um, you know like even sunil gavaskar pointed out the fact that he didn't do too well in india and whatever But actually, even in India, even in a place where he didn't do too well, he had bowled some magical balls. Not just balls, even spells. That test before that Chennai test in Bangalore, he had a phenomenal uh, spell going on. He he gets, uh, of course, that Lakshman. He gets Lakshman with an absolute beauty of a leg break. But I was at that game, and that he was just a threat throughout that. match i mean there was no i mean the whole idea that if you watch that match the whole idea of shenwan being bad in india is like just thrown out of the window he's like a great bowler what are you talking about it's hard to imagine think of another bowler who had a a more lethal stock ball than shenwan you know and and who had so much control over his stock ball as shenwan i mean he used to spin the ball really hard and never loses length you know and he used to get drift when he wanted to and he used to you know move the ball around in his hand so that the seam was pointed in a different direction to change how much drift he got uh i mean a, a lot is you know we when you know the shenwan the 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 performer the you know the whole you know uh, the the personality of the bowler was is is It, it it's a really a the personality of the bowler is just a just a symptom of you know the quality of the bowling you know i mean it's that was not an act you know that was just you know he was that good you know that that that's i think worth reflecting on on how good he was you know and it's worth also reflecting that when he was bowling in india he didn't have the flipper which he had for most of the 90s until then you know and then the flipper was gone because of his uh, injuries uh but even without the flipper he just kept finding new ways to bowl you know he kept new finding new ways to get wickets you know he 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 found another way to bowl a straighter one uh you know he even started bowling the googly from time to time very rarely but you know just what he could do with the basic leg break you know the range of things he could do was just extraordinary you know and and that that's why the whole business of you know well you know he's constantly at the batsman every ball is an event yeah it's an event because he's that good 
you know that's it's because the, the the core labor of delivering the ball is performed at such a high level every ball you know is that's what makes him extraordinary you know that that's that everything else stems from that you know and that's the hardest thing about Vaughn to describe because it's there all the time and it's obviously there and there's nothing to compare it with because there is no indifferent Shane Vaughn spell you know there's no Shane Vaughn spell where he's you know draw you know dropping it short twice an over you know and you know you you to compare how good Vaughn is you have to compare him to other leg spinners you know and other leg spinners I mean and Shane Vaughn's range of speed in the 90s I mean American fans will appreciate the comparison I mean it was basically like uh, Pedro you know uh, it was I mean the range I mean his 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 leg break went from like 47 48 miles per hour to like the flipper was like 65 miles per hour that that's just unfair you know <laughs> that, that that range of speed is unfair and to do that without losing his length was just like so I mean it's not it's not it's really, really there's never going to be another leg spinner who takes 300 wickets at 23 you know this just never going to happen even ashwin you know he's had uh, all this success you know on and and you know a lot of it bowling in india you know and there's a big gap between you know the returns he gets in india versus the returns he gets overseas because of the amount of assistance he gets you know he's a finger spinner he needs that assistance granted but even he is barely approaching that 23, 300 wickets at 23, you know, in India. And Ashwin is a phenomenal bowler, you know. And you look at Shade One, and he did that everywhere in the 90s for 300 test wickets. That, that's not normal. That's not, there's never going to be a bowler like that. You know, it, it is just, I mean, I don't even know what to put it down to. You know, why was he so good? Why was he, why was he, I mean, he's not, he's, he, he's not someone you would associate with sort of, you know, putting in hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of work perfecting something. You know, he, his, his whole persona is not conducive to that, you know, but he was, you know, he was that, you know, he, he was that player. And, you know, that, that, that mastery was at the bottom of his, uh, that excellence was at the bottom of everything with Jane Vaughan. And, and that, <laughs> that should not, I think that should hopefully not be forgotten. You know, one of the reasons I, one of the things I really hope for is, you know, our friend Rob Moody, he should, he should really sort of, you know, uh, open out his archive and, and, and publish sort of entire spells of Shane Vaughan or something like that, you know, uh, because that would be, quite spectacular viewing, I think. Yeah, I mean, he posted like uh, even like uh, two, three minutes, uh, you know, of uh, one spell. Even just seeing that, it gives you so much more than just seeing that ball, the final wicket ball. I mean, there was one Ian Bell uh, video that he had posted. I think it goes for two minutes at most, but shows you the, and Alex Stewart video also. It shows you the five, six balls that came before that itself is amazing. So if he can put up whole spells, I mean, that'll be a different level. But Karthike, I mean, just to extend on that, you 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 should talk about that uh, CCI game a bit because given that it was the first time you were uh, seeing him and watching him, I know you wrote about it, but you should talk a bit about it as well. 
Oh, he was. I mean, it was a. He he was he only bowled over the wicket. He never bowled around the wicket at that match. Uh, he didn't have the flipper anymore, uh, and I did not know that he didn't have the flipper anymore. I I only knew he had a flipper because I'd read about it. You know, it's just like and and then you know uh, in the in the promotional that time uh, they used to have these promotional things for the test matches and they used to show this half an hour program and in which they used to show well Shane Warne has done this that Steve Waugh has done this that you know these are the big superstars who are coming so on and so forth you know back in the day and uh, they used to show Warne bowling a flipper and he never bowled a flipper you know and all the Bombay batsmen and CCI is not a big ground and and the Bombay batsmen were just like they were out for his blood you know? they, they just Amit Pagnes and everybody from like everybody from one to nine, like all Sami. I think even Sami Dige played that game, uh, and Sulakshad Kulkarni played that game. Or am I confusing it to the 2001 game now? No. Anyway, well, all of them went after him. You know, there's like you know lofted cover drives against the spin, and they were just taking a lot of chances, and the chances were coming off. You know, and <laughs> that can happen sometimes. you know but it was also that you know there wasn't that much bowling at the other end you know if you remember megra didn't come on that tour gillespie didn't come on that tour uh, i think uh, pete blocker wilson was their uh, new ball bowler uh, blocker wilson adam dale and i think kasprovitz kasprovitz uh, and rifle and rifle yeah yeah and maybe even fleming i don't know if fleming came on that tour maybe i don't know if he played the tests may not yeah uh, may not have yeah but uh, i know he came in 2001 but i don't think he came in 98 for the test uh but you know it was just one of those days where you know they kept taking chances and the chances kept coming off you know and at that time i didn't think that at that time i said ah well this guy is crap you know this this is overrated blonde leg spinner doesn't understand like this is the real like you know that that that, that was what you were brought up in you know? like spin bowling is like our thing you know it's like you know it's just, we were that that was how we were supposed to think about it and it's like oh yeah he's coming and we're going to destroy him and they, that day it actually came off and they did destroy him but i i was always struck by the fact that shane one never ever ever complained you know nowadays you have so much of uh, you know uh, even great players of today you know uh, they say oh you know look at the conditions in which you're beating us come to our place and look we will we'll deal with you in our conditions you know you, that that sort of thing is all there subtext is always there you know with with Shane Warne that was never there he never complained he bowled like 53 overs a match in those six tests in 98 and 2001 combined you know that's a huge amount of bowling for only 20 wickets and he went for over 1000 runs uh in that time you know and that's just a huge chunk of bowling where you know it's it's and and you know you have to sort of also understand that up until that series shane warne had done the impossible in test cricket you know he wasn't he was a leg spinner who was playing half his test matches in australia and he had taken 300 wickets at 23 apiece you know it, that's like you you can you cannot find a more difficult combination of things uh uh it cricket of of skill conditions and uh, you know returns and now like the he came to india and suddenly the impossible was asking uh, happening to him 
and you know when you re- think about it now like his reaction to that was like really champion reaction you know there, there's no there's no other way of putting it yeah i, re- I really you know in retrospect wish shane won it that australia had a tour to india between 94 and 96 basically when he had that injury you know i mean that was like absolute peak won when he was basically just taking everyone for a ride i mean england i mean it started with sri lanka but i think that phase was would have been it would have been fascinating to watch uh, the indian batsman against him and i think his record i mean I, i he could have probably had a dream series in india had he come say in 95 or something i mean he was bowling i remember some of those games i mean you know you used to watch them uh, early in the morning in india those games in australia and i mean of course in the as the game goes on in australia you have like uh, all these big uh, i mean these tiny islands that start forming around the pitch right i mean it's all almost like uh, you know there's these uh, little archipelagos that form over there and then one pitches it on the rough and starts getting help and all but even on day one i mean even when none of that was there even on hard pitches i mean pitches like the waka and things where you know he would get that bounce he was phenomenal he was like taking teams i mean he was taking out teams on day one of test matches yeah and in south africa as well right like for instance uh, recently when ashwin was bowling uh, in south africa i was thinking about this thing I mean, poor guy, not getting any help from the wicket. I mean, like like Kerry pointed out, he's a he's a great bowler, and he's not getting much from the conditions, and that's all he could do, right? He did a good job of uh, bowling um, in those conditions, and then you think back to what Shane Warne did, and he did it over what like like three series, and and he averaged twenty five in that in those conditions, and 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 in different sort of. I mean, there was a there was a four hundred chase which which South Africa started off well, and then he comes out and takes five wickets, and he's done that against. Uh, uh you know england of course and england is is a thing that keeps coming back but he also did well against pakistan right in in sharjah he did well even in pakistan while it's not as attractive as, as it is in sharjah he still did well in sri lanka he did well so this whole you know partly uh i didn't fully buy into this indian disdain for shinwon i was always fascinated by him even at the early stage in fact i was really looking forward to there was a massive hype about shinwon coming down for the one off test right the border gavaskar trophy the first one which was i think sachin's debut as a captain as well and and i think he couldn't make it for some reason and peter peter mcintyre comes in no? yeah in 96 peter mcintyre comes in as a as a leg spinner and that was probably when he had that uh, injury and injury, surgery yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah yeah correct correct and then 98 of course with sort of massive hype and ian chapel called it the battle of the century or whatever there was you know crazy hype around it and and we still uh you know heard about shinwon bringing in like a hindu reporter that he is going to bring his big beans from uh, australia because you know that is the first time i i came to know of what is a big beans actually i i don't think we even had internet at that time so i assumed big beans should be something else uh, you know till in fact the first thing that i had uh, when i went to australia was big beans you know like to try out to figure out what it is and you know you always saw him as this exotic sort of uh, i mean i remember vaguely watching some some of his spells against india in in the 92 series uh, but otherwise you know nothing against india and he's conquered all over the world so i was really you know curious to see what what he'll do in india so this whole disdain for shinwon is something that i don't understand given his done i mean in if you don't as a land of spinners we don't respect shinwon then there I, i don't see which other sort of country should respect shinwon so that's one thing the other thing about the other narrative about one especially you know outside of india is this 
he revived the the lost art of leg spin uh you know for someone who started following cricket right at the beginning of his career and also we had mustaq ahmed then paul strang and you know all, all kinds of leg spinners around that time you know around around shinwan's time and it's not because of shinwan it was just a coincidence and perhaps and you had like, abdul kader just before that just before that abdul kader right so uh, for me i didn't really care too much for the fact that he revived some lost art i mean even anil kumble for that matter right he was a leg spinner although you didn't think of it that way at that time so for for me shinwan was fascinating even without all these sort of constructs you know like i can understand why like an aussie like someone like gideon hey you know living through barren times seeing shinwan finds it as a as a sort of cathartic release but for me like i saw shinwan as the as the first point of my leg spin introduction like you know when i first tried to bowl leg spin i i wanted to bowl like leg spin bowl like shinwan in fact that was the only logical choice you had like even now it is the most imi- easily imitatable action right it is so simple so economical and throughout his career even if you look at the sort of bowling action changes it's not too much it's it's marginal sort of tweaks here and there and then you know like like 2004 when he came to sri lanka that that murli shinwan series uh, where both of them were kind of trying to outdo each other was just breathtaking to watch so the the man's range is so vast so wide and and so beautiful to watch uh yeah in a way i think kd pointed it out in his in his blog that i feel like had we not lived in the india of that time which which had this sort of nationalistic drive against any spinners of you know any sort of you know, uh, reputation from anywhere in the world i think i would have appreciated him a lot more I, like that's probably my, one of my regrets i wish i was i didn't have i wasn't surrounded by that prejudice against him in india i i don't know where you guys getting this disdain from because uh, i lived in constant terror of shane one uh, because uh, i have seen him bowl against english people south africans and i thought at least sri lankans will whack him you know but he went and dominated them as well so whenever he came to india and for me even when he was not getting wickets and sachin and later lakshman kind of played him well he was actually a cause of concern as an indian hardcore indian fan it because we know the quality right and we know what he could do at least i could because i thought a wicket was always coming and later by post rationalization since all this observing bowlers and control metrics and all that i kind of now realize that he was i mean at least 90 80% of the time he was in control he knew what he was doing and it took like exceptional risk as a batsman to hit him out of his length and you can't hit him out of his length even then you have to keep taking risks and that's what i think sachin and uh, uh vvs did and credit to them but it's not something that a, even most international batsmen could do he was like phenomenal he was uh, out of the world and i always felt like dread whenever i was watching shane won against india i knew that something was going to happen and we we were going to lose a wicket or two because it always used to happen when i when i was a neutral and i saw him bowl against south africa or or england or pakistan pakistan not so much but sri lanka he used to dominate them and i thought was this is genuinely scary bowler you know shane wan was really he had sort of almost two distinct careers you know like until like the end of 97 his first 
300 odd wickets like 290 something wickets uh came at uh, he went for 2.3 and over in that those 60 odd test matches the last 80 tests where he got 400 plus wickets you know he was getting more than 5 wickets per match on the last 80 tests he went for 2.9 and over so he in in a, in a sense he became a far more attacking bowler uh in those in those later tests and that may be because you know he had better bowling and more runs to play with and all that but and and also because you know he he sort of lost may have lost like his you know his wicket taking weapon so to speak uh you know the the sort of the flipper and the the flipper which would just really frighten batsmen no into playing other balls in ways that they would not normally play uh but that that sort of is not just one great bowler i think shane one in so many ways is two great leg spinners you know who are completely different types of bowlers to to what i mean and that this you can also observe this type of thing you can also observe in anil kumble's career you know where the kumble of the 90s is one type of bowler and the kumble of the 2000s is a completely different type of bowler you know where you know that 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 sort of continuous it's not continuous but it's sort of that that sort of emergence of uh, you know a a new style of bowling a new style of attacking is is interesting and i now uh, we can't ask shane wan anymore but we, we sh- there must be somebody we can ask about this you know yeah also i mean when the thing with wan and the flipper was that he used to spin the leg break so big that the flipper was just lethal i mean you you get a ball if you and he his flipper was like when he used to bowl it it was like deadly and because you get that ball and if you can't read it straight up you're thinking that it's going to spin away from you and then it just basically shoots through and anybody who has even tried to bowl the flipper i mean the flipper is perhaps the most difficult ball to bowl in cricket i mean you're basically snapping the ball out of the back of your hand i mean just just take a ball and try to even bowl it forget cricket ball try to bowl it with like a soft tennis ball or rubber ball it is desperately hard and and one is probably the only test cricketer with with like 700 wickets that you know i'll spend quite a bit of time talking about his one day bowling as well because he was a genuinely great one day uh, spinner at that time i mean he used to bowl in the slog overs like mark taylor used to get him to bowl in the in the like last 10 overs and consistently at that you know we we talk a lot about the 99 world cup semi final and the final but 96 world cup semi final itself was an exceptional sort of one performance and the other thing that you don't notice with one like recently uh, for um, i think it was for the war man is the shooting book cover that we were kind of looking at some pictures and sidney sent me sent me a bunch of photographs and one of them is my favorite uh, where uh, ranatunga hits a is a one full toss for a six over square leg right the one of the iconic images of the world cup so i wanted to pick it for that for that reason then you notice that he's bowling the 43rd over or something uh martinez still has a first slip in for him in the 43rd over when sri lanka is cruising along i mean that tells you so much i mean like initially i used to credit it to mark taylor being an aggressive captain and then you realize like like kd points out the core labor is actually shane wants it's because he had shane wants that he could actually do that so i mean who who can bowl in slogovers today or today for that matter anywhere i i can't imagine another spinner and that to a classical spinner like him bowling so consistently well in the slogovers with a slip in a slip to boot yeah 165 for 3 right 160 for something and then 
170 for three or what not. Uh, he gets uh, yeah. three quick wickets and, and game over. Failed to chase what 210 or something, no? Yeah, 208 or uh, 200 less than 210. <clears throat> yeah. This is the West Indies. West Indies. 96. Yeah, 96. 96. Semi-final. Semi-final. Yeah, but what about the 99 semi-final? I mean... That was uh, an extraordinary performance. I mean, what? How can you... uh, There's just some certain level of surrealism to that game. Yeah. You know, Shane Vaughan used to grunt when he bowled. You know, you remember? You you, you remember watching him bowl? That, That was like... That, that was a measure of just how hard he spun the ball. You know, I mean, he, I mean, he really spun the ball hard. You know, that, that there aren't many people who spun the ball that hard. And he did it without losing his length. You know, it was almost like a, you know, a, the Shane Wan's leg break was like a fast bowler's Yorker. You know, I mean, his, he used to like, when he used to really let it rip and, you know, get it to start or middle and off. And then it, it, the, the drift would take it away often, you know, to pitch just outside leg stump and then turn to first slip, you know, and, and the, then because of the drift, it was also dipped, you know, and, you know, and it is really, you know, not easy to play at all, you know, and uh, he was, I mean, okay, you you would have to be basically Azuruddin to play that off the pitch and, you know, Azuruddin could do it and he did it a lot in, in 98 and, 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 you know, in the Sharjah games and, and he played, Azuruddin played Shane Vaughan a lot in the 90s. Uh, but there aren't that many players who can do that. You know, you, you know, who wheel the bat like a table tennis racket and, you know, play, it, play with just the bat. The 99-7 final, was that the one where he... Bowls, uh, clean bowls, uh, Gibbs. Herschel Gibbs. God, that, was that, a... is, that is the ball of the century. Actually, that... that is... <laughs> and Kirsten, no? Kirsten? Kirsten also, but the one to Gibbs was just out, out of the world. Absolutely out of the world. Yeah. I mean, and you take the context of that game and the, where that match was at that point, and then to see that ball, I mean, I mean, of course, he, he's not bowling a ball based on what over it is. But even then, as a viewer, to just see such a ball at such a time, it's just something else, man. Yeah, he bowled. He got three wickets within the 15 overs. And then he comes back in after 40 overs. And then he gets callous out. Yeah. So, he is everywhere, I think. Steve and Mark Taylor used him everywhere possible. No, the thing the thing is, for, for us, right, I mean... Just had there been no Shane and had the had there been no Shane one and had the Stuart McGill been the the lead leg spinner for Australia, that itself would have been like you know Australians would have uh, gone quite uh, nuts over that itself because Stuart McGill also was a good bowler. I mean, you know he was a quality bowler and you know they would have uh, probably credited him with uh, you know bringing back leg spin and all that and he would have ended up with uh, quite a number of wickets. I mean. But the thing with Stuart McGill was he gave you at least that one poor ball every over, if not more. That was one. And the second thing was that he didn't have the range of one, like we are talking about. I mean, either the speeds or just the calibration of the spin. You know, Stuart McGill was a big spinner of the ball, but he never had that kind of calibration of either spinning it two feet or spinning it few inches that one had. So, watching McGill who was a good bowler, I mean, no disrespect, but told you how 
much greater one was like what a what a master one was just a simple stroke ball right we go back to the same thing i mean this it's not it's not about the range as in the range of things that he could do it's just the the range that his stroke ball could achieve i mean he gave him control it gave him potency it gave him consistency and what more do you want in a spinner and like the, his his ability to extract life out of every wicket everywhere in the world is just sheer genius and and one of the things that always fascinates me about one i think kd made a good point that he was two great bowlers in one uh you can look at it numerically that you know there's like 300 wickets and then 400 wickets and even as a type of a bowler like like the way he operated uh i, I probably it's after the one year ban in fact i i wouldn't probably call 98 as that point i would rather look at post 2003 right the 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 drug ban that he had and then he came back perhaps in sri lanka to me like watching it aesthetically the the sense that i had that the the stylistically his change his bowling style was probably that sri lankan series that i was talking about and then uh, i think we must be the only podcast talking about shane one's life without uh, mentioning about the 2005 ashes for so long i think we should make a, a token mention of that because no no there are enough people mentioning that anyway so yeah <laughs> okay fair enough so so the 2004 uh, sri lanka series and and to some extent the 2005 ashes series was was a lot of fun to watch for me not so much the for the fact that the underdog came back to to win or whatever uh, because megra happened to step on a fucking cricket ball uh, but more importantly for the fact that won was putting on a show it it didn't matter see we always the other thing that fascinated me about won was that he was he always had a greater calling right? he, he was a man belonging to cricket more than to australia right i wouldn't even say australian cricket he he belonged to cricket way more than to australia as a society and you know uh, perhaps i'm being selfish in claiming him for for cricket more than australia but that always came across in fact even when he was getting hammered by sachin right one of the things that i distinctly remember is you know the the comment about nightmare and all that like you know that's that's him being generous but that's also because he was so secure of himself that he could afford to give such flattering compliments to sachin and one of the things that he says which i read in a book called sachin tendulkar masterful and it was a, it was a great quote it said uh, if if bradman was consistently superior to sachin i'm glad he was an australian so he's measuring bradman with sachin's benchmark and he didn't have to do that at all here's a guy who's probably diminished his reputation uh, you know from a sort of historical perspective but he was so generous in giving compliments to that guy and that's where it always came through and that also comes through in 2005 ashes right i mean you can say this is like you you could have been the 89 border moment right like let's just be hard nosed and not give them an inch and whatever whatever even when australia was losing a historic series he he was there as a man for cricket i mean he was of course bowling beautifully uh, but he also appreciated the occasion I, i like you know i don't think any other aussie in that team would have appreciated the fact that england winning this would would be historic I mean, open wondered what it would be like if shane one was english you know and and then, you know let's not get into the whole you know cu- you know the, the cultural stereotypes about oh you know shane one could never have been english so obviously he could have been english you know uh but you know world cricket would have been a much more interesting place if he was you know i mean because england were not as good as australia and i think shane one was often at his best when you know he 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 was he was his ability was made for that enormous canvas you know i mean i think this is one area where murlitharan had a distinct advantage over shane one you know because you know murlitharan was a comparable bowler but you know unlike shane one murlitharan 
was basically Sri Lanka's entire attack for a really long time. And, you know, that 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 sort of gave him scope. And, and you saw that scope which Shane Vaughan got in Australia, in, in, in England in 2005. You know, when, you know, as uh, Mahesh was just saying, uh, McGrath stepped on a ball and Gillespie was not very old by then, or not very old, but he was transitioning into the double century making batsman uh, you know and uh, uh, you know michael kasprowitz played a test match and you know brett lee was by then you know getting hammered a little bit and really and and what's more england had the bowling to like really push australia into corners on that in that series and and that's like where shane Vaughan had like you know his hands full and he basically you know, came within three runs of beating Australia on his own, or uh, beating England on his own in England. You know, that, that is a, just a... That, and, and by then, there was also, you know, Shane Vaughan was also always aware of his position in the game. You know, by 2005, he was basically the game's preeminent superstar. You know, uh, with all respect to Tendulkar. You know, it, it, uh, in England, Shane Vaughan was... The game's pre- firstly he was a bowler, which puts him higher than all batsmen in my book. But uh, that's just, that's me. But he that 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 would have been interesting, I think, if 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 Shane Vaughan played for sort of a mid-table side like England instead of like a you know it was just really unfair in a way that you know Shane Vaughan Australia also had Shane Vaughan during that game. You know. yeah, that would have been terrific. One, it would have enhanced uh, one structure as a bowler, you know, to think that something could be enhanced from where it is. Uh, but it is certainly likely that he would have ended up with 1,000 wickets or something. But more importantly, Shane Vaughan gave the absolute privilege to that great Australian team of not having a fifth bowler. Uh, and yeah. he could bowl long spells. That He was a great spinner who was effective all over the world. So that meant two things. That Australian team was lucky on two fronts. One, it had one at its peak in its in its second sort of wing, where he was much wiser and and uh, more mature and so on. And then it had Gilchrist playing like at seven without disturbing the balance of the team. Now, without one, they would have been forced to play an all-rounder, like perhaps Andrew Simons, perhaps somebody else. And he, they would have had to bat Gilchrist out of his position. He, he had to bat at six rather than seven. That reduces his luxury to go hammer and tongs like the way he did. I mean, it would have handicapped Australia disproportionately more than it enhanced the, the weaker team, let's say mid-table team, just by moving one out of the picture. That would have made for a fascinating sort of rivalry or, or uh, you know, composition in world cricket at this point in time. And also, talking about, I'd like to see uh, Vaughan bowling at Steve Vaughan and Ricky Ponting and Matthew Hayden especially. Uh, Ponting, no chance. Ponting you would have got in like... In no time, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but but talking about enhancing, right? I mean, the other thing that Shane Vaughan did was also enhanced so the sort of so many bat the reputations of so many batsmen he bowled to. I mean, you know, uh, of, there were of course they were all like fantastic batsmen. You spoke about Azaruddin, Brian Lara, Endulkar, Lakshman, Dravid. I mean, the range, right? But I think the fact that they scored against Shane Vaughan, they did well against Shane Vaughan and they took took him on, they charged down the pitch or they, you know, Lakshman going after him inside out, Tendulkar going after him across the line. The fact that they were forced to try things and come up with these audacious ways of playing spin, 
is thanks to war no i mean thanks to how good he was otherwise what why does you think vvs lakshman has to play do uh, uh, take such a risk against a spinner i mean against a normal spinner vvs lakshman can just milk him for runs all day long but he had to do that against warn even though the match was almost lost for india he had to take that risk because that's what he felt was the best way to tackle him and it came off and who can forget that inning so i think that is also like important i mean it's not it's it's a credit to warn that he made them play like that the great australian bowling attack i mean they played in some of the great series of all time i mean whether it's the 99 series in west indies when brian lara made those played those great innings uh, or whether it was the 2001 series i mean all that came down to the fact that the, that attack was so good that to take to match them or to beat them required that superlative ability and performances actually the uh, to to sort of put a heretical point uh, i think one of the other unsung advantages of you know shane one played by england instead of australia would have been that you would have had better lara versus warn battles you know because you know lara batted at 3 and you know very often he didn't really survive until warn came on you know because you know i mean your number 3 batsman your openers against a top pace attack you're going to get you know out cheaply very often you know so even when west indies played australia a lot of the time you're deprived of watching you know brian lara play against shane warne <laughs> kd's dream attack is darren goff <laughs> andrew caddick ronnie rani yeah, alan malali and shane warne and shane warne that's what i'm saying that's your dream attack so that shane warne basically can bowl 100 over 90 overs <laughs> in the well, in 2 days a, it would have made for a more competitive era no yeah <laughs> thoda like all... nowadays i think you know what if uh, like uh, if new zealand had won out of ashwin or jadeja like you know would, they would be so much more they would be dropped and they would not play just <laughs> like ajas for yeah yeah <laughs> no i mean first of all again that, that's a a good theme because uh, again um, like all other themes about Shane Warne explored by Gideon Haig about how you know Shane Warne keeps saying he would have loved to play in the 70s with Ian Chappell's team but Gideon makes the argument that he would not have ma- survived in that uh, this he would not have even made it to the Australian team in that setup he would have just been lost i mean it required like the he he came on at a time when the australian system was streamlining itself to find these things talents and even when they found that talent he went he was thrown out of that national cricket academy which was set up precisely to find talents like shane warne so uh, but the one anecdote that i read in all these tributes uh, very touching was how after he was thrown out of the national cricket academy uh, he basically wanted to you know he got to know about this terry jenner who had bowled for australia and had was this leg spin guru and how the first time he met terry jenner he took a crate of beer went to terry jenner's house and said now teach me leg spin <laughs> like i found that so 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 like amazing to see this guy whatever 19 20 year old guy just taking beer and saying okay now teach me <laughs> oh man so we need to talk we need to talk a bit about you know the 
the West Indies bit. We've missed out quite a lot on Shane Warne against West Indies. I mean, whether it was Lara or Chanderpaul or Hooper, for instance, Carl Hooper, who he had some wonderful battles against. I mean, many of these games, you know, you they aren't available. The footage is not easily available, especially from Australia's store to West Indies. Rob, Rob Moody has many, but not that much. But I used to really enjoy watching Shane Warne against, you know, that West Indies team, especially the 90s team, which was still good. I mean, not as great as the 80s teams, maybe West Indies, but they were still a good team. And that 99 series remains a really, really fond memory for me. You know, I, I think I stayed up so many nights watching. And in fact, even the one-day one day contest, there used to be this... Um, you know, one-day series in Australia back then, which West Indies used to play, tri-series and all that. Even in those matches, you know, watching Lara and Hooper play won, it was a delight. I mean, Carl Hooper was a phenomenal player of spin. I mean, the way he used to use his feet and um, hit the spinners overhead, it was magic. Won against South Africa, I mean, the Cullinan bit is a cliche, like, become total cliche, but I think he had some wonderful battles against them. I mean, Callis and... A lot of their players, Kirsten too. I mean, that even 90s. AB even AB Devilles is bowled quite, quite a bit against. And I mean, every time, they, see, they won a series in, in South Africa under uh, Taylor. Then they won it under uh, Steve Waugh. Um, and I mean, they had a couple of drawn series uh, at home. I mean, he's always bowled exceptionally well against South Africa. And, and it's easy to kind of fall into this trap of South Africans being poor players of spin, which is actually not true. Uh, at least not with with uh, not in the way that it's spoken about. But even if you're relatively poor up players of spin, to be able to get like five wickets a test at 25 average on those grounds in those conditions is just phenomenal, you know. And, uh, you know, the, the callous dismissal is, of course, widely popular. But I remember him getting a lot of these... Uh, so, so he attacks... He, I don't know, I, I have the sense, I mean, perhaps I'm just influenced by my, my, my memories right now. But against South Africa, I felt like he always attacked the stumps a lot more. He bowled like on the middle and leg, trying to get that sort of million dollar ball and the classical sort of left arm, sort of, sort of leg spinners dismissal a lot more. So like if I just imagine all those dismissals, I, I, I can imagine like Dave Richardson got in bowl trying to flick and, and you know, Callis trying to drive, um, Hansi Kronia trying to kind of whack him out of the ground and so on. I just felt like he, perhaps we should check this. I don't know if uh, Kiri has a way of checking this, but I just felt he bowled a lot straighter to South Africans for uh, for a good reason, perhaps. I'll tell you, I'll, I'll let me let me see if I can check. But you know, one of my favorite figures about Shane Warne is that, you know, he's, he's, he's the player he dismissed most in test cricket was Alex Stewart. Uh, the player he dismissed second most in test cricket was Ashwell Pritz, you know. These are like two different players from two different ends of the test match world. You know, two different players from two different eras. You know, Alex Stewart played in from like the 80s. He was from that generation. And, you know, Ashwell Prince is from like the the generation after Cronier. You know, after, not only after Cronier, after Donald. And, you know, he's from the, he's from the Graham Smith generation uh you know but the, that's also i think in part to do with you know the two different types two different chain one careers that i i think exist basically you know where you know th- and that is that is sort of you know 
all of Shane Vaughn, you know, the the Shane Vaughn, the performer, is often sort of he's like a he's like a attention sponge, you know, who who sort of seems to direct attention away from Shane Vaughn, the bowler. Uh, and I think uh, one of the things that happened to to Shane Vaughn uh, when he lost his flipper is that he, paradoxically, I think he became more attacking, you know, uh, because he he I mean he couldn't he didn't have the 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 he didn't have the ability to con- contain anymore, you know, because he now had to beat the batsman in the air, he had to deceive the batsman in the flight, uh, you know, he couldn't really you know beat them off the pitch so much. You know, even though from time to time he did develop the straighter one. I mean, there's one brilliant dismissal of Sanat Jayasurya where, you know, he gets a... He he, he, he bowls a perfectly normal... Fly, what appears to be a perfectly normal flighted leg break. Uh, and uh, it lands on middle and off stump to Sanat Jayasurya. And Jayasurya tries to play it with the spin. But it dips on him and goes on straight. And basically, Jayasurya's outside edge is pro- beaten, and you know it takes his off bail. Uh, it, it's a it's a phenomenal dismissal because you know Jayasurya is beaten completely beaten in the air in that dismissal, and then to make matters worse, he's also beaten off the pitch because it doesn't turn, and he expects it to turn. You know, and that that is a <coughs> that that's quite a remarkable capacity you know, for a bowler to have. Uh, but the other thing about Shane Vaughan, I think, was also that uh, I don't think I remember ever Shane Vaughan bowling negative. You know, I don't think I remember him ever bowling to not dismiss somebody. You know, the and and this is I think particularly interesting because that was an era in which the whole idea of the restrictive spinner was actually a thing. You know, nowadays we don't see that, but in that period. There was such a thing called the restrictive spin bowler. You know, there, there were spin bowlers who were basically there, like Giles, for instance, who were basically there to keep the runs down and contribute a few runs of their own and try and you know survive. You know, and 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 you know, because you know, that was an era where you know there were so many so so teams were scoring so many runs, and uh this the restrictive spinner was a thing. And especially since Australia never really played five bowlers, I think the the fact that Shane Warne stayed an attacking bowler was, you know, extremely important for Australia. Because if they played only four bowlers and then, you know, Shane Warne would had sort of lapsed into this defensive holding role, it would have left too much to do for the other bowlers. But he never did. And, and he was phenomenal. And it it meant that okay, you know, Kevin Peterson or somebody occasionally will, will take him apart and take him to the cleaners. But in the long run, it still came meant that he came out ahead. No. Yeah, and also, I mean, talking about attacking, I mean, see, I I, I remember this match really distinctively. This uh, his hundredth Test match against uh, South Africa and Cape Town. This was in two thousand two, and back then I used to. End up watching a lot of games from South Africa. And that was probably a time when, uh, you know, I was off or something in the day. So this match needs to be like, I want the whole match to be uploaded by someone or to be able to watch it at some point. Because basically, you know, if you see the scorecard, South Africa scored 239 in the first innings. I mean, mainly uh, getting out to, I mean, a combination of Australian bowling. And then Australia make 382. 
But South Africa in the second innings make 473 runs in 162 overs, going at nearly 3 and over. Okay. Glenn McGrath bowls 25 overs, Gillespie bowls 29 overs, and Brett Lee bowls 22 overs. Shane Vaughan bowls 70 overs. He has he bowls 70 overs in this that innings. He gets six wickets for 161. Now, 70 overs, six wickets for 171, you, 161, you'll be like, oh, okay. I mean, it, the, the kind of thing you have in your head is like, okay, they scored four, whatever, 400 something. Maybe they were going after him this set. But that was an extremely attacking, through the time, he was attacking all the time. I mean, I don't remember him at any point getting restrictive, uh, drying up the runs, as they say. He was trying to get a wicket every time. And thankfully, much later, I read an interview of Shane Vaughan where he picked this as one of his best performances. And I was glad because, you know, it tells you that Shane Vaughan wasn't just about, uh, you know, Shane Vaughan had magic balls, but he also had like some, like the phenomenally tireless spells. He would go on and on and try and get a wicket through that time. Every time, every time he bowled, it was B to get a wicket. So I hope at some point of time, I can just see this whole innings spread out, you know, through a whole day or two and watch it. And Australia, of course, went on to win that game. And Shane Vaughan even had a good game at the bat in that test if I, uh, because he scored a 50 in the first innings and really helped them. So, yeah, I mean, that was Shane Vaughan. I mean, there was a certain uh, indefatigability of what that, or that word about him. You can see that through his commentary also, right? Like, he... If you leave him, if it is legal to do so, he will just jump out of the commentary box and just go start bowling and start keeping field placements. He can't imagine a game which does not involve him or it does not involve his way of thinking. And his way of thinking is the quickest path to 20 wickets. And that was just that simple. Unfortunately, the the skill gap between Shane Vaughan and not Shane Vaughan is so vast that you can sense the frustration come that comes through commentary. In, uh, so you can always see him putting himself in the field when you when he commentates, and you can see that he's mentally setting this up, and he's mentally going through how he will take those twenty wickets. And no, also when it, when teams are like uh, I've scored four hundred, one team would have got all out for one fifty, but Chen Wan will be like. You know, if they can get them all out in the next 30 overs, then they can then chase for... I mean, he'll be coming up with these absurd scenarios. But the fact is that he has played like that and won games. So, he, for him, it's like possible. But for normal people, it is all gone. The match is over, yeah. boss. Thank you. I mean, that's what happened in, in the Adelaide Test, right? In, in his final series, the Ashes series. The, 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 I mean, they, they had no business winning that match. It was It was like a daylight robbery, right? He robbed the match out of England's grasp, which was a comfortable heading to a comfortable draw. And it was like, I think he got four wickets. It was not even one of his five-wicket hauls. Uh, but it, it, it's like, I don't think anybody but one could have done that. And, and it's partly his character, his way of thinking about the game and, and, and majorly his, his skills as a bowler. And in fact, the 70-over the spell that he talked about, if I'm not wrong, Gideon Haig also talks about it in, in the book on one. In fact, he doesn't get into too much details about you know, great spells. But to the extent that he mentions some spells in detail, it's a couple of these spells which are these long, epic marathon spells without much reward. Which, you know, like, which someone like Dennis Lee, for instance, is remember, remembered for bowling those long spells. But if you look at someone like Dale Singh, for instance, right? He, like, even when Sehwag hit him for those big triple hundred in Chennai, 
Like if you look at the number of the overs that he bowled, it's not a lot. Whereas Shane Warne, like he never flinched away from bowling those ugly sort of tiring overs. And even when he knew he was not going to get much purchase, like it is very easy for him to have kind of not bowled enough in in the India series in 2001, for instance, when he knew that match was you know going to be a long tiring sort of effort. But he never flinched away from it, and and that's something that that tells two things about one, which is grossly underrated. One, his cricketing fitness. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, that determines fitness way more than any other sort of parameter. And two, the one of the points that Kerry mentioned earlier, I was surprised that he said it, is that he didn't like his personality seemed like like all of that came naturally to him, but nothing comes naturally in life. So uh, you know, like I. I I firmly believe that he practiced a lot. He put in a lot of hard sort of hours at practice. I, in fact, initially, even during his, you know, kicking, being kicked out of the academy days, I am pretty sure he worked extremely hard on his bowling, and he kept bowling overs after overs after overs. That stock ball is something that doesn't come naturally. That stock ball is is a product of all those hours figuring out how to master the stock ball, right? and subsequently the way he's reinvented himself is also come about by sheer sort of practice this absolutely no doubt about it i think both of them are grossly underestimated about one you know it's also that you know that stock ball mastery you know you see it with ashwin also you know that basic mastery of length and drift and you know the how much the ball is turning those basics this mastery is such and shane warne was also like that that they could almost think with the bowling you know that they could think with their bowling you know they could they could it's one thing to say okay now i am going to bowl this one you know and i'm going to try and turn it hard from leg stump and the next one i'm going to turn it a little bit less but i'm going to sort of start it out a little bit outside off and get it off stump uh, get it to pitch on off stump but it's another thing to actually do it and chain one could do it and you know once you sort of get i think what happens is that once you get into the habit of doing it no then you sort of get better at doing it you know and to your point about bowling straight you know uh, so against india for instance shane wan got 30% of his wickets bowled or lbw whereas against south africa he got 39% of his wickets bowled or lbw but you know the best the best uh, returns for him in that are against pakistan where he got 42% of his wickets bowled or lbw yeah that's not surprising actually he did bowl uh, more aggressive sort of Uh, line against Pakistan as well. At least, I mean, the, without all these extended highlights, they're all going by our biased memory. But that's yeah. and I, and just just a uh, just to add to the point of intuition, right? Like when we all know that cricketers practice their craft for hours so that it becomes muscle memory for them to react because in match conditions you don't have time to react either as a ball batsman or a bowler. Once you release the ball, it's done. So to release the ball at that pace and at in that direction and uh, expected to do certain things requires a lot of practice and that becomes your second nature i think there is another slightly another level to this where only rarefied people go which is uh, which is a kind of a intuition uh, which which even surpasses the muscle memory which is you get some kind of a premonition as to you will do a certain thing and there will be a certain reaction to it right in you you hear you hear people say tendulkar kind of anticipated what the bowler did much ahead and he got into positions which other batsmen couldn't and this was based on you know your previous deliveries and what not now that sounds like you know basic anticipation but but for a bowler to you know you have that clip where 
he walks through how he is going to dismiss brendan mccallum right in the charity match or some t20 match i think that goes beyond muscle memory i think there is some kind of intuition that he develops over so so many bowling so many balls like 50000 balls he has bowled right internationally you kind of get a data set where you know the these are the events that have preceded and therefore the most likely set of events are these and for these events to happen i have to engineer it in certain way at and it looks like intuition for a lay person like me like he has somehow divined what the batsman is going to do but for him it might be simply just you know a memory of things that has happened before in such a situation and to engineer that and even if you have memory it is not easy to engineer such events right because a lot of factors can go wrong your balls can you know you can over pitch you can bowl it short or the batsman will not react to the way that you want him to react but for a lot of things to go right and for him to be vindicated most amount of times that that shows kind of a you know i don't know how to call it other than a premonition i mean that may be a poor word but that's what i would say no you're right i mean uh, in fact uh, glen megra once made that same point about won he said now glen megra has like a phenomenal memory like he can tell you every wicket that he took if you say wicket number 10 he'll tell you which wicket how he took it so that he has but he used to say won cannot tell you that but he feels it he 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 sort of if he's a, he has a batsman in front of him he and who is batting in a certain way he feels that there is a way in which he has already dismissed such a batsman before in such a situation and that he can do it again and that is like deep uh, immersion in your craft right i mean that's what you know a musician who is composing will have because then they they are drawing upon uh, parts of their brain that they don't even know they have access to or a great writer for instance who is you know writing so instinctively because of all the millions of words they have written before and they can it all comes together meshes so yeah i mean that is i think what we would call genius uh, and premonition and all that but in effect it's what you are saying it's intuition yeah but but it will be great if we can somehow you know have some video more video evidence for this or someone to demystify this that will be you now good insight into how these people thought of cricket at all yeah i mean i think there's a very important quote that comes to mind you know with um, uh, greg greg chapel said about doni he said he's an old soul you know and by that he meant that he feels that he has experienced a few of these things before and so he's able to react to that in the thing he might not have experienced it but he has the feeling of experiencing it so i think you know there are some cricketers Uh, you know for whom a lot of it is it, it's it it's there because and that is not uh, by the way that is not uh, just some god given gift or something it is there because they have put in the work to get there they have actually worked so hard to be in that position yeah one of the things that i was thinking about while we were talking is that we started talking on such a sort of sober note saying it's such a tragic event and a part of our lives have been taken away and so on but in the process of talking about want there's so much joy that automatically comes through like all of a sudden this conversation is a very lively happy conversation about great cricketing moments uh, so yeah like it's like the 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 answer to getting over this grief lies in shimon himself again you know we got to go back to him to get over him 
I wanted to say this before, but anyways, I'll share it now because I think the 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 hack to immortality. I think unless science and technology catches up with it and figures out how we'll not die ever, is I think through art and you know sport, you you just keep. That's a yeah. That's your cheat code to immortality, right? Like as long as people remember the things that you do, you're never going out of anybody's memory. And to everybody else other than you, you're just a memory, right? The things that you do, the things that you have said, and uh, those are the things that keep you alive. And in that way, I think artists and athletes, have, I mean, they have cracked immortality better than most other kind of people. so so that is the you know kind of uh, rationality that i give to myself when i hear like a shane one passing away or lata mangeshkar or an spb whose work i am you know uh, has been a great source of you know calmness it has brought calmness and happiness and joy and acted as consolation in times of in in during bad times so that kind of the rationalization that i always do saying that i have not probably lost them the person i don't know personally i don't know shane one or any of these people but their work is so intimate to me that they it's like they never left and that's kind of a consolation that i tell myself that's true i mean the first thing i thought of when i heard the news was i mean here's this cricketer who has spread so much joy all around the world i mean just watching shane warne play cricket i mean is such a pure act of joy i mean you gain so much pleasure and appreciation and you know you fall in love with the game more and more with players like this you know i would in fact attribute a huge part of my falling in love with the game to players like shane warne uh, you know or uh, wasim akram or uh, sachin i mean the, the, there is it's not just about watching cricket right it's watching cricket in that elevated space of players who are able to do this i mean you can watch cricket in your neighborhood park tomorrow but i mean and it will give you a certain level of joy no doubt and it will be calming and relaxing and there is a great pleasure in watching that but to then see this at a level that is so exalted that really you know makes you understand the variety and the dimensionality of the game and uh, yeah i mean i would say shane warne has a massive role for me to play just to love the game i mean for me to love the game write about the game talk about it uh, you know all that might not have happened if not for players of like that and it's the greatest marketing for the game right if if, uh, if a new person who is not into cricket sees this I mean, that's a drug. What more do you need? There is no. I mean, uh, Peter Delapena has posted about it also. I mean, Peter Delapena, who is ESPN Cricket Info's uh, USA correspondent, in 2005 he was in Australia for study abroad. In many of the US universities, you have a chance to go and study abroad in a university for one year, and that was a time when the Ashes, 2005 Ashes, was going on, and he watched it from Australia, which means that he would have watched it. Uh, you know at a time zone that was not necessarily convenient but he had no idea about cricket he goes here he sees this ashes he falls deeply in love with shane warne he comes back to the us to nebraska which is pretty much the middle of nowhere in cricketing terms and uh, you know starts he joins a club that was uh, started there were expats are playing uh, cricket there uh, 
he gets into cricket he starts watching cricket and then now he he actually reports on cricket i mean he's been reporting on cricket and usa cricket he's like the authority on usa cricket today so i mean here that's all thanks to shane warne i mean 90% to shane warne so it just tells you the effect right of one bowler and look at i mean now peter delapena's writing and reporting is going to have an influence on so many people so it's magnificent the thing about great masters is that even people who don't really are not really that much interested in sort of the details of the mastery they they know they they at least at some level they recognize it they, you know you know even if you don't understand like western classical music and most of us you know they're not they're not really students of it but you know you listen to elgar or somebody like that and you see oh yeah you know there's something here you know yeah i mean if uh, you know if you want, this is there's no better way to market cricket to new you know pastures i mean if you want to get a get americans to fall in love with the game or chinese people to people to fall in love with the game you know just take a bowler like shane warne there i mean they will they will see the mastery i mean they they don't need to understand cricket to see the mastery of uh, of the player of the cricketer yeah i mean the other point of course that uh, gideon has explored uh, in detail in the book is about the fact that television and won right i mean that he played in an era of when television was really kicking in production was getting better commentary was getting better so viewers could appreciate won uh you know far more than they would have been able to appreciate beno you know on i mean or any other spinner of that time i mean now of course things have gone to a higher level with hd and other things but even then the coincidence was uh, godsend for viewers <laughs> more than one i mean one one would have been one in whenever he played but for us to understand one it was great no so i was realizing this uh, again like um, you know because my son keeps asking questions so he's always curious about who's the greatest who's the second greatest and so on so with bradman i have some names and with marshall marshall i have some names and whatever with one i didn't have any names he asked me who's the second greatest leg spinner i i didn't have any names and i said uh, no who was the second greatest when he was playing i said probably anil kumble and uh, you know in another instance he said second greatest leg spinner anil kumble i said no 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 he's not the second greatest leg spinner so then he asked me then who then i was like my wife was, uh, was also poking me saying can't you just come up with a name is it that difficult i said yeah it is indeed that difficult I probably i'll have to go to bill o'reilly or you know grimmett or you know probably subhash gupte you know like that's how far you got to go back which is not true in any other discipline right like okay mark marshall moves on then you'll probably you know there's always a graph to compare him to it's it's not or a stain or a stain leader or you know comments and bumrah when they finish and whatever there's always each generation produces someone who's close to that level to at least warrant a comparison um you know same with batting right like with with, uh, with bradman of course he's in a different league but even with bradman you can argue that you know with with more playground and more more sorry more grounds more opposition and whatever there's always been a comparison with sobers with uh, with sachin and and so on you know, or more formats more formats and so on you know you can you can neutralize a lot of things but with one like i struggled to come up with an answer and that's when i, I realized that you know for all this glory glorification of leg spin cricket has not actually not been blessed with too many great leg spinners and one is so rare so precious 
pr- precisely because of that reason i would say I what do you have against uh, not a bad answer right but he said lexpinner murli dharan is not a bad answer no no lexpinner specifically lexpinner yeah but he said murli dharan is a wrist spinner yeah he is yeah, a wrist spinner no, no i told him murli is the greatest off spinner and and such as sorry shimon is the greatest leg spinner so in his mind these it's are two different things but what it is they, they are different things right you can't compare no but but uh, kartikeya there is, here is where here is like the exception to your kind of uh, argument right like the every generation will eventually be greater than the previous like in certain disciplines like leg spin that may not be the case right yeah i mean but i mean it's an exception to the rule is what i'm saying yeah <laughs> well yeah i mean the there are there are players who are unique you know i mean there's there hasn't been another gary sobers since yeah yes, so that's um, that's the point that uh, you know sibi i remember you made this to ian chapel when we we had him on the podcast uh, that you know bowlers have found a way to come back and it's been a bit of a bowling era in the last 3 4 years which is a very which is which is an indisputable sort of fact uh oh, is it in this studio whatever so uh, uh but but chapel's counter is this right he immediately starts talking about leg spin so his idea of a great bowling era also includes place or a great leg spinner or a great spinner and uh, you know that's a that's a whole different perspective so and you got to give it to him right i mean we don't have that right now yeah and he has always made the point that you know the game is the strongest when you have great leg spinners and great swing bowlers because he believes they are the most you know they are the bowlers who make the batsmen take the most risks and so the game is constantly moving along and the game is moving ahead uh you know so yeah and he that's a point he has stood by for 40 50 years now so i mean yasir is not even making the 11 right now so <laughs> you know i was uh, there was talking about leg spin and wrist spin i mean the the i was extremely excited when kuldeep came on to the scene i mean that one i still am i think kuldeep still a much better bowler than people think no you know it's a tragedy yeah. that uh, afghanistan don't get to play as many tests or else rashid khan would have been at least a good contender no but it's also yeah, rashid play khan is like See, exactly if rashid khan plays for some other team if rashid khan would bowl for england KD what every great good bowler you want to play for England now what is this new no 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 his, his, his table no <laughs> yeah yeah his his idea of a mid table team is england <laughs> he thinks mid table is like england we don't want this podcast to become like all other podcasts we will have uh, reviews and uh, other things coming up where you can argue about mid table teams and uh, who should play for england but uh, yeah i think uh, we've covered uh, quite a bit on this uh, sobering kind of day but again as we said a lively discussion thanks to the subject we were talking about uh, Shane Warne only one Shane Warne um you know as ever um, you know you can uh, subscribe like uh, comment uh, would love your feedback uh, we have uh, you know you can review and rate the podcast but uh, yeah as of today i would uh, tell you to If you haven't read it, please read Gideon Hayes on one. Buy it, uh, buy it multiple copies if you want. Gift it to people. Uh, you know, it's an absolute masterpiece written on a true, you know, legend of the game, and it covers so much about his cricket and his mastery that uh, I would urge every one of you to read it. 
probably nobody gets worn and his uh, craft and his effect and mastery as much as Gideon does. So he's been a also uh, he's been a guest on our podcast talking about on one. So I'll link our previous podcast with him. But uh, you know, just reading those words on a page will give you a lot of pleasure. India have won the Test match. India have won the series. They're going to get back for two. India. Goes wild.